Good morning. Welcome again to Cornerstone. Happy Pentecost Sunday and happy Memorial Day weekend. We do just want to take a moment, and on behalf of the whole staff, and I'm sure everybody here, just to say thank you uh, for any families and friends here that have lost loved ones while they were serving our country. And so I just want to take a moment and pray for those that are affected by that. Um, it's a big difference in how that day is seen and, and celebrated. And we're all affected because we're all free. And so we just want to say thank you and go before the Lord. Father, we're thankful for this uh, painful sacrifice that many have made for our country and for us. And we just pray your, your blessing and peace on the families and friends that have lost, lost loved ones while they were serving. So Lord, we just commit them into your faithful hands, knowing that you'll take care of them in Jesus' name, amen. We're in our Rise and Fall series, talking about how nations and leaders rise and fall, and then looking at the attitudes, characteristics, and mindsets that can cause us to rise and fall. And today we'll meet the first king of Israel. And it was just this month on May 6th that the United Kingdom crowned a new king after I think like seven decades with Queen Elizabeth. And so what did they say? Tell me what they chanted when uh, King Charles III was crowned. What did they say? Long live the king. We're not going to say that as Americans, but they said that over there. And now we're actually going to see that phrase in the scriptures when the first king of Israel is crowned as well. And so as we look at this first king, we're going to see how God wants to lead us and how he wants to work in our lives as well. Israel was in one of those falling patterns. They weren't doing so well in the moment they were requesting a king. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. They said to Samuel, this is mean also, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. That displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Basically, he's going to tax the snot out of you, and you're asking for this. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. The Lord answered, give him a king. Right? And so they think the issue is that Samuel's getting older and his kids are not going to be a good replacement as judges, so their proposed solution is appoint a king. It's actually not the worst thing for them to ask. It was prophesied way before this in the Bible that they would eventually have a king, but their motives were wrong. That's the problem. They wanted to be like all the other nations. God had set them apart to be different from all the nations but they wanted to be like all the other nations in having a king. They wanted to blend in with culture. They wanted to copy others and, you know, peer pressure and just say, I want to be like these instead of being so different like God had asked them. So the real issue is worldliness. Worldliness biblically just means thinking, uh, behaving, and even desiring like those who are not submitted to a relationship with God. Right? It's thinking that, that the world apart from God, the world's wisdom without God in the picture can solve our problems and we just don't need God, that we are going to be satisfied and happy with the things of the world rather than with the things of God. It's a big issue. We're told in 1 John chapter 2, 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Now, we should love earth, we should love the places, we should love the people, definitely love the food of this world, but that's not what it's saying here. It's, it's those that love that world system that Satan is at the head of. It's contrary to God. It's the opposite of godliness. It's worldliness. That's what we need to be careful of, and it pulls us in. It subtly pulls us in. And so Samuel here sees this temptation to be like the other nations, and, and he gives some really good feedback here. He walks them through this situation. And we see how we can respond if we see this temptation in others. I've been really thinking through this when I, when I see in my own children just a desire where they think, if I have that thing, then I will be happy. It's, it's a young version of worldliness that we struggle with easy, even as adults. And so what did Samuel do? Well, first, he acknowledged his feelings. It says, this displeased Samuel. And we should look at others, and when we, when we see worldliness in them or in ourselves, we should recognize that's a bad path, and it should be a burden to us where we actually care about the path they're going down. Then he brought it to God in prayer. He took those feelings and discouragement, brought it to God in prayer, and God gives him three things that he should do. And the first is he listens carefully. And we need to ask questions of others and ourselves and say, why do you think this path forward that doesn't include God or his word, why do you think this is going to satisfy? Why do you think this is right? And after listening, we also need to warn them. Samuel was tasked with warning them, this isn't going to end well. There are consequences to your decision. And we need to be faithful to warn others and think about where the road is going to take them and us if we're struggling with this. But finally, to respect their freedom. God says, give them a king. Right? They get to make this choice, respecting the freedom of others. And so you got to warn them. I mean, when I was in Israel, as far really as I could be from my wife and kids, she told me the next day when we were able to talk with each other, she said they were about to go on a bike ride. And as they were outside getting their helmets on, all of a sudden a helicopter comes through the neighborhood warning them, saying, go inside and lock the doors. It was the sheriff, you know, helicopter going around. And she's like, you know, kids, now's not a good time for a bike ride. They're like, what's happening? What's about to happen? You know, you, you just picture the worst case scenario. She's like, of course you weren't home when the helicopter is telling us, go inside, lock the doors. But you heed a warning like that. But not everyone does heed warnings, but we have to be faithful to give them. There was no issue that came close to our neighborhood, but it could have, and so there was a warning there. And you gotta respect freedom after you warn people. My motto for parenting is very different than my wife's motto. My motto where I wanna give my kids freedom to make some choices is break a leg, not your neck. I just feel like that's, a, I mean, I want them to climb high, balance on things, and fall to a point where they, you know, break a leg, but I don't want them hanging upside down from that tree where they can break their neck. That's where I'm like, hey, knock it off. Shannon's motto is, please don't get hurt at all, right? We don't want you to get hurt. You're precious to us, but we're, we're different. We're trying to give them their freedom. It's not our job to control other people. We need to be there for them no matter what choice they are making. And so I saw this exact um, situation with my kids recently. Shannon had a women's ministry event that was taking up a good portion of the day. So I wanted to do, do something fun with the kids. I missed them while I was in Israel. So we, we drove all the way to Santa Monica Pier. And we went on a, a roller coaster there. And then I, I gave them all enough money to do one of the carnival games. And then we got a little bit of money for the arcade. We had some ice cream. There's an aquarium. We just had a good day. But it was at the 
It was at the carnival games that I just started noticing the whole day changing because Titus saw this. We're going to put it on screen. A green sloth. And like you, he had to have it. I mean, the the zen-like qualities of the sleepy creature. He's like, oh, he's got about 10 sloths at home, stuffed animals. And so he's like, I got to have it. It's the biggest one. And I said, all right, buddy. But you need to know, these games are impossible to win. It's only luck. It's not skill. You're going to get one chance, and everyone else is going to get a chance, and then, and then that's it. But you're probably not going to win, so just get your heart ready. And I wasn't trying to squash all of his hope, but it's hopeless, right? And so here's Titus's experience trying to win. His last ring to get the sloth. He throws it and boink. That little adorable moment actually turned into tears, where he was just begging me for more money. And, and then Gideon saw a polar bear. That's his thing lately. And so he's like, I got to have the polar bear. And for Gideon, here's a video of him doing a race where you roll a ball. And he really, he thought he, thought he had this down. Like he was going to win. He was excited. And he lost. And Abigail lost. And, and then the whole day changed. They, they were grumpy and discouraged. And they were begging me to give them more money. And they, they each had about $10, $10 of their own. And I said, I don't recommend you use the money. It's just lighting it on fire. You're going to lose it. It's impossible to win. No, it's not. I'm going to win this time. And I kind of followed these steps. I was like, oh, Lord, help him. I prayed, and, and I listened to them. Why do you think you're going to... Why is this so important? Why? It's only a, a cheap little thing that we can buy. And I warned them they weren't going to win, but I respected their freedom, and they bled out their personal $10 accounts... And then they started pointing the finger at families. They were like, they cheated. That dad rolled the ball. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to get these kids out of here. So it was, it was, a part of it was cute, obviously, but it was sad because it's what we all struggle with. If I just had that thing, then I would be happy. Listen, the beauty of the gospel is that we are invited to something so far greater than being like other people. We are invited to be like God himself. We are invited to flee worldliness and and to move towards godliness, right? We can actually move towards Christ-likeness. God will give us the strength to be more like him. Not the cool, like, levitate powers and things like that, but but our character and our purpose in life can be Christ-like. And how does that happen? Well, Romans 8, 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so we can, we can change to be like Jesus. This happens, Romans 12, 2, it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. You got to renew your mind. Well, how do you do that? Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like him. And we can flee worldliness and instead pursue godliness. And so the nation's not heading in a good direction, but God gives them their freedom. And then we meet a real average guy named Saul who has to decide if he's going to embrace his calling that God is, is asking him to do. So we start with his father, 1 Samuel 9, 2. It says, Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, he was a head taller than anyone else. Height is one of the leading uh, indications of great leadership. You should know. You should listen. And so Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the lost donkeys. And when they they reached the district of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, we got to go back or my father's going to stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town, there's a man of God. He's highly respected. Everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. 
Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. And the servant was speaking of Samuel, the prophet and judge. We see here just a great reminder that we need to embrace our calling. We need to embrace our calling. Saul was super average, and yet he had some good qualities. What qualities really make for a good king? Well, a lot of people in the world have been asking that question because of King Charles III, and so Newsweek put up a list of of 10 experts and what they thought good qualities were. And so Newsweek said, he's going to be a great king because he had such a good example in Queen Elizabeth. And they said, he's going to do great because he's had lots of time to prepare. Just, she just never died. She was just always alive, right? They said, he's going, to, he's going to be great because he's going to modernize the monarchy. And he's going to be great because he's more empathetic. And so 10 experts were weighing in on what makes a good king. Well, the book of Deuteronomy, years before Saul was ever alive, also talked about what makes a good king. In Deuteronomy 17, this is really what you find when you read this passage. It's got to be a king God chooses, an Israelite, someone who trusts more in God than the military. They can only have one wife. They can't be greedy. They need to have a knowledge of the law. They have to actually write their own copy of the Pentateuch. Daily reading of the law, obedience to it because they're not above it, reverence for God, and humility. That's what God was looking for. And we see some of these characteristics in Saul. God created us perfectly to match the calling that he's asked us to be a part of. And so God created us in a certain way and has molded us in a certain way to prepare you for the season that you're in right now. It doesn't mean you can't search for a new job or or a change, but you are equipped for this season of life. We see that with Saul. Even his physical stature was used by God. It it says that he was handsome and a head taller so the people could look at him and say, yeah, he is a good, he would be a good king. now, it's not just my time in Israel that makes me think, I bet all the Jewish mothers were saying to their daughters, oh, he is handsome. He's handsome, isn't he? You know, I, have some, I got some really good intelligence on this because I know a Jewish mother. I know a, a Messianic Jewish mother. Our worship pastor's mom, Renee, is Jewish, and she won't stop talking about how handsome her son is and how talented he is. Renee, is your son handsome? He's handsome, yeah. And so physical stature was used. Uh, Saul was discerning, right? He realized it's been days. My dad cares more about me than the donkeys. We need to get back home. He had discernment and he had humility. When his servant said, instead of going home, let's go talk to Samuel, he said, great plan. Let's do that instead. So whatever season of calling that you're in, whether this is a season where your focus is being a, a mom or a dad, or whether it's the career that you're focusing on, or being a student, or trying to be a good neighbor to reach others, God has created you for this moment, and God has equipped you for this moment. But here's the wild thing, and it requires a lot of humility. Even though God has created us a certain way where we can say, I'm ready for this moment, what we have in ourselves is still not enough. And we need to know that. We need to know that it doesn't matter how skilled or experienced we are, What we have is not enough to succeed in life. And God knows this, and so God offers us spiritual assistance to help us in our calling. And he did this with Saul. He gives us his providence, right, his sovereignty. Verse 15 says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. 
Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and said, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And he said, I am the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning, I will send you on your way and tell you all that is in your heart. And as for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family? Often we're like, oh, well, what a coincidence. You don't have to say that as a believer. God is is providential, outside of time, matching everything up for his kingdom, for our best. It doesn't mean things are going to always go our way. We're going to have difficulties in life, but God is aware of what's happening in every moment in control still, and his providence will continue to push us forward in his plan in our lives. But it's not just his providence that he gives us. He gives us his ability to deal with our inability. Verse 21, Saul answered, "Uh, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all such clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Saul's like, I'm really, I might be the wrong guy. I'm just average. My people are average. There's nothing special about us, but God loves empowering the weak so that he gets the glory. And so in your calling, if you're like, I just don't have what it takes, that's okay. God's going to give you what you need each day that you seek him. We also are given God's love, which is so needed for us. In verse 24, real simply, it says, Saul dined with Samuel. There was a relationship there before anything else. Can you imagine Samuel knowing Saul's the first king of Israel And the priorities are, let's have a meal together. They go to bed, and the next morning is when he finally reveals to Saul, you are chosen, you are going to be the king. Why the delay? Well, the relationship is always more important to God than the service. We are to spend time in God's presence as a priority well before we ever serve the Lord. We seek the Lord before we serve him. God knows that we we doubt ourselves at time, and so he gives us confirmation He did this for Saul in verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Samuel took a flask of olive oil the next morning, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet, and then he describes three wildly different scenarios that are impossible to predict, so that when Saul entered each of those three scenarios that day, he would realize Okay, if Samuel knew these three things were going to happen, then he does speak for God, and he told me that I'm going to be king. I guess that really is what the Lord wants. But most importantly, what we need, since we're not enough, is God's spirit himself. Verse 6 says, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And listen, you will be changed into a different person. I want to be a different person. Well, The the things that are wrong with us, the things that are weak in us, the things that are contrary to God in us, God can change us from that, and it requires his Holy Spirit. We need to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. He is a person that can be grieved, but he's also a person that we we can plea for help from that can empower us, that can strengthen us. All of our songs on this Pentecost Sunday have been reminding us we need to be changed into a different person. We are not enough. We're thankful for how we were created. We're thankful for some of our experiences that have have molded us, but we still need to become like Christ, and that is a completely different person, and the Holy Spirit does that work in us. And so, Saul here is anointed king. Samuel gathers the entire nation, and in verse 24, he said to all the people, 
Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. And Saul has to now embrace this. He's nervous about it. He was actually hiding in this moment, but then found, and he has to embrace, how am I different now? What is God doing? And some mighty men went back to where Saul lived, and he just kind of went about his normal life for a little bit until there was an opportunity for him to show that he was chosen by God, that he was embracing his calling. And he does that in a unique way. It's a character growth that we see. Something amazing, because when he was anointed king, there were still doubters and mockers saying, what what about this guy? Look at verse 27, it says, some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Saul is king. There's some that he hears rumors of that are mocking him. He could have used his authority to deal with that, but instead he just keeps silent. His flesh wants to scream out, but he just keeps silent. How does he do that? It's really amazing when you think about it. And then then an enemy finally does invade Israel, and there, there doesn't seem like there's any hope for this one city. Saul gathers the troops, invades during the night, completely defeats the enemy, and now everyone says, all right, we made a good decision. This is the king of Israel. He's the one we need to follow. And they're excited. In verse 12, it says, all the people said to Samuel, who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us that we may put them to death. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. How does Saul again, when now he's proven in the whole nations around him, not punish his enemies, his doubters? Saul has a unique characteristic, it's a word we don't use very often, of meekness. Right? It's a meekness of being, of being meek. And you're like, well, that's not really a word we use, so let's look at a definition. A biblical definition of meekness is this. The biblical word for meek is a word that suggests the taming of a wild animal. If you were to take a wild stallion and break it and teach it to obey the commands of the rider, you would say that the horse is tame. The animal is now meek, but it's just as strong and powerful as ever. The word means strength under control. So meekness, biblically, is letting God be in control. It does not mean that you are weak, timid, or spineless. It means that your strength is now under somebody else's authority. Meekness is such an amazing characteristic. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They're going to be rewarded. Not everyone's going to support you as you embrace your calling. Saul here graciously responds in two situations in a meek way, his strength is under control, and he's gentle, and you wonder, why in the world? How can he do this? It's important to realize God purposefully places difficult people in our path to test us, to show us where we are weak in our character, and also to grow us, to change our character. We think the problem is with the difficult people. If I just got difficult people out of my life, then I would be a fantastic person to be around. You'd be around nobody, and you wouldn't like the mirror either. Listen, it's meekness is about recognizing there are difficult people around me, doubters and even enemies, and I am going to respond with strength under control in those situations. How does Saul do this? Well, he realized that he was king regardless of these people's support. He knew who he was, and that determined how he acted. 
And so if you're a parent, you need to remember, you are in charge regardless of whether or not your kids are respecting you. You don't have to match their voice level to prove that you're in charge. You, you are in charge. It's who you, it's who you are. It's, it's kind of sad, but each week I try and look at the sermon early enough in the week to say, how can I make sure I'm living this out or asking the Lord to give me strength to grow in this area? And it was a full 24 hours later um, from a moment where I'm sitting on a couch and the kids were just in a mood and two of them were just raising their voices and disrespecting me. And I was like, I know how to handle this. I'll raise my voice louder. I'm older. And so I raised my voice louder and kind of squashed the disrespect with my loud voice. Shannon comes running down the stairs like, what's going on? I'm like, ah, they were yelling at me, so I yelled at them. <laughs> She's like, oh, great, great. And it was a day later that as I read through my sermon, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's the opposite of meekness. It wasn't strength under control. It was flesh out of control, right? And, and so I asked the Lord, and I actually, I gathered my kids and said, hey, remember when we were on the couch and I, and I raised my voice because you were raising your voice? I want to apologize. That was the wrong way to handle it. And, you know, th- it was just like a dull moment. Like, yeah, whatever, Dad, stop talking to us. Uh, okay, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, kids, for supporting me in this. Listen, I'm asking the Lord for this. If you're a manager, you need to realize you are still the overseer, even if you're disrespected by an employee. You don't have to match their disrespect. If you have an addiction in your life, but you're a follower of Jesus, you need to remember you are still a child of God, no matter what you've done in the past. And if you're a husband or a wife and your spouse is not treating you the right way, you need to know you are still valuable and worthy of honor, no matter how you're being treated. We need to know who we are. Verse 27 says, they were scoundrels, Saul was king, and so he acted like it. Knowing our identity empowers us to live out our calling in a godly way instead of a worldly way. To remind ourselves that we have been adopted by God. We are loved by God. We have been forgiven by God. We're redeemed by God. That's who we are should affect how we behave. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus was God in flesh. He could have called down angels at any moment to deal with the situation. He even mentions that once. He's like, I can call down a legion of angels and take care of this whole problem. But he didn't flip out on people. He didn't, you know, he didn't like destroy people that were against him. He was meek, strength under control, God around sinners, choosing just to forgive, be patient, and be merciful. He knew who he was. The more we realize who we are in Christ, the more we can live out that calling. So if you have the church app, at the very bottom, since we've talked about three different themes, there are three different ways to live this out. Each of these themes has a prayer that you can pray throughout this week, and one practical change you can ask God to help you live out this week that will point your life more in the direction of what we're talking about. So I'd encourage you to look at the the notes that we have this week to do that. But I want to end our time by praying for us. And so if you would stand with me and let me pray over you, I'd love to close our time in prayer. And I'd like to ask you three questions about where you might need prayer. It's obvious where I need prayer this week, so thank you for praying. for. I am praying that God would give me meekness, right? That in my relationship with my, with my children, that I would make sure to always be gentle with them and know I'm in charge. I don't need to let them know that with my voice. But is there anyone else here that wants a prayer for meekness, to have their temper under control in difficult situations? Yeah, me too. 
Anyone here that needs prayer to embrace their calling, whether they're loving their calling or they're having difficulty in their calling, but you need strength to live out your calling in life, go ahead and raise your hand. And if there's anyone here that, that is just honest and saying, I, I just, I wanna fight against worldliness. I wanna find my joy in, in godliness. I don't wanna find happiness in the things of this world, but the things of God, go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. Father, we're asking for help. All of us here are recognizing we can grow in, in one or all of these areas. And so for those that are struggling with worldliness, Lord, would you give them such joy whenever they spend time with you that they recognize the beauty of the gospel, that living for you gives the greatest satisfaction in life. And may the things of this world that have a grip on their heart just be loosened so they can run after you and not be chained down to the things of this world. For those that need help with their calling, whatever that calling is, being, being a parent, a spouse, a certain career, a ministry, Lord, give them the grace they're asking you for. Who they are, as pleasant as they are, it's not enough. And they're recognizing they need your spiritual help this week, the grace of God to live for you. And for any out here who are identifying where I'm at this week and, and wanting to live a life of meekness, that our strength would always be under control, that our identity would be rooted in Christ and not how people are treating us, we pray that you'd give us patience and endurance and peace and, and a calmness, even around difficult people or, or people we love that are giving us difficult moments, Lord. Do that work in our hearts, Lord. We're all saying we need your help today. We know that you've heard, that you respond to those that ask in humility. And so we're expecting you to show us your power this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys this week. If you have any prayers, please come forward for our prayer team.